1: To claim your free welcome bonus, that's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW report Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: With a new podcast every day of the Premier League
3: season, this is Football Social Daily. Things are getting rocky for Rafa as Everton were extinguished on their own patch last night. Liverpool flexing their muscles and comfortably claiming bragging rights on Merseyside with a humbling 4-1 win. Salah the star, Benitez left beleaguered. Bernardo Silva conjured up a goal of the season contender in a tough test for Man City away at Villa. Guardiola's side victorious to keep the pressure on a Chelsea team who saw off Watford last night to stay at the Premier League summit. Plus West Ham dropped points to Brighton after some Mopé magic, while Southampton, Leicester, Wolves and Burnley all had to share the spoils. A full programme of Premier League fixtures this midweek. We'll look back at those games as well as looking ahead to the final two tonight. Old foes clash this evening as Arsenal travel to Manchester United. Will we see the Ralph Rangnick blueprint in action at Old Trafford? Plus no snow for Spurs this time around as they host Brentford. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. My name's Niall McCorn and you'd be hard pressed to find a better combination than football under the floodlights. And we have everyone's favourite combo on the show today as well. Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson are here. How are you doing boys?
0: Come on in the dynamic duos back. <laughs> we should come up with a little
2: nickname for ourselves, like the midfield pivot or something like that. <laughs>
0: Got rice and chit su- <laughs> n- n-
2: Not sure about rice, you'd be prawns.
3: <laughs> yeah, since Joel's joined the sports social team, we've discovered he has um, an unusual fondness for prawns. I don't think I've ever seen you without a prawn sarnie at lunchtime, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Popeye with spinach. <laughs> Enough of the in-jokes, enough of the in-jokes. We need to talk about last night's Premier League action, of which there were six games. They made for some entertaining viewing, it has to be said. We had derby matches, we had close encounters, we had a couple of draws, we had bicycle kicks, last-minute equalisers all sorts of stuff and there's still two games tonight as well to go through manchester united versus arsenal and spurs versus brentford we'll do that a little bit later on but first let's get stuck into last night's results and there is only one place to start that's at goodison park where everton were demolished by their merseyside rivals liverpool 4-1 in the merseyside derby liverpool victorious and everyone saw this coming including plenty of evertonians who were leaving well before the end, especially when the fourth goal went in at Goodison Park last night. How damaging a result is that for Rafa Benitez? Marley, do you think, as Everton manager?
2: Uh, I think it's very damaging. Um, I'm. I don't know if I expect him to go or be sacked, um, but I think a few bookies have stopped paying out on it, which tells you that it's uh, that it's obviously very very close. Um, so. It's I mean the writing seems to be on the wall because they weren't they weren't that bad last night, just Liverpool were that good. Um they were sitting on commentary, Ali McCoyst and uh I think it was uh, I can't remember the other guy was John Champion or someone was saying like um like this this could have happened to any team, like not just Everton. Like Liverpool would have just killed any team last night. They played they got everything right, their their approach, their energy, the tactics were all absolutely spot on. Um and you, you did fear if you know going into the game yesterday. We we're talking about it yesterday on the podcast, and just in in general, you were saying if Everton lose this heavy, you, you that's that's like if you if they lose it by a goal, it's almost a good result because you just didn't get hammered by one of the best teams in the world right now. Um, but two 0 down within twenty minutes, fans were leaving Goodison Park. They'd, they'd have been home in time for Coronation Street. It, it was it was that early. Um, and, yeah, it's, it just gets worse for, for Rafa Benitez. But I don't know... I don't really know what he's done that's that wrong. I think he's, he he does what he does at most clubs. He tries to make them solid first. Um, and there's only been a very, very small part of the season where he's had his strongest team available. And in those games, Everton were top of the league because they won the first three games. So I think the miss, the miss of Calvert-Lewin... Um, I think is still playing through through the pain barrier a little bit for for the team because they know he's well he knows they're knackered without him and Calvert-Lewin. So I, I I'm not I wouldn't ever give up on Rafa. Benitez at all. Um, but it I mean it's not my decision and it it depends on Everton's owners because they have been a little bit trigger happy in the in the last sort of decade or so.
3: Well, you talk about Rafa making Everton solid, but if you look at some of the results this season, Joel. You could argue that that hasn't been the case. As Marley says, they were decent in August and they ended up getting uh, to the top of the league. They beat um, Norwich City by two goals to nil. Their most recent clean sheet was a nil-nil draw against Tottenham when they had a man sent off. That was early last month. But if you look at some of the other results this season, they lost 3-0 to Aston Villa. They conceded five at home to Watford. They've conceded two against Wolves, three against Man City and now four against Liverpool. So that argument of Rafa trying to make them solid and albeit not having his best team 100% of the time. Is there a few holes in that argument considering the results that they've had recently?
0: Yeah, it seemed as though at the start of the season they were papering over the cracks a little bit. I think that Watford game that you mentioned was a big turning point for them because, you know, Goodison Park's usually a place that you go in; it's a very tough place. It's tough to get goals there usually. But for a team like Watford to score five there, it clearly shows that, especially in the defence, they're lacking massively. And with this game um, against Liverpool, I think it was the probably the most inevitable result in a Merseyside derby I can remember for a long, long time. I don't think there's been a bigger gulf between them in a long time. Um, usually Everton, well, Everton got their most recent away victory at Anfield not so long ago as well. Um and then suddenly they look they looked absolutely capitulated and especially, you know, considering at the start of the season they did they were beginning very well. I remember I'm sure they were in and around like the top five, top six. They were getting some good results. It looked like Andros Townsend and Damari Gray were looking like real coops for them. They only spent a combined three million on those two. Um and I remember saying on one of the podcasts earlier in the season that Those are the types of signings that Rafa Benitez needs because as we know from the signings they made prior to him of, you know, Alex Iwobi for 30 million and you can go on and on with all of these kind of dud signings, they didn't work. And to an extent, these new ones have worked, but as I mentioned before, they're just flavour of the month type players. They're not going to perform for nine months straight and get you what you need, but I don't even think the forward line is as much of a problem as as it is the defence. It just seems like they can't shore up the defence whatsoever. And last season, they were, they were not so bad at the back compared to this season. Um, but I mean, Liverpool seem to be just overpowering every single team this season in terms of just how devastating Salah's been. I mean, like I said, he's he's been inevitable in terms of his play. He's pretty much unplayable. And just as we were discussing prior to the podcast, he just seems like he's gone up a gear. He's He's less involved in the game in terms of in previous seasons where we would see him a little bit more. Now he's a bit of an outcast player who, when he gets a chance, he's a one-shot kill player. And it's kind of showing in his stats a little bit more now where he's 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 not needing as many chances as he used to to actually score. And he's well on course to potentially beat that record that he did, um, I think, four years ago where he got 32, 33 Premier League goals, which is ridiculous in itself. Um, but he's becoming a player now similar to the way in which some of the best players in the world start becoming, which is the less involved in the game, I'd say bar Messi, um, the less involved in the game, but their stats show just by how much they influence games in terms of winning them for the team. Um, and it's becoming quite ridiculous how much he stepped up a gear because I didn't think after that 33, 32 goal season that he would actually start elevating himself again, but it seems as if he's still well and truly in his prime. And, um, and for me, I think that's going to be a huge miss for them next uh, next month when obviously the African Cup of Nations starts and Egypt may have a good chance of lasting a good amount of time in that competition. So it'll be interesting to see how Liverpool fare without Mane and Salah combined going away because they both could be away for the whole duration of the of the tournament, which could last a month. And then we'll truly see how Liverpool can fare because obviously it seems as though their depth is quite weak in contrast to their starting 11 but yeah for Everton um it's worrying times for them and I, I I feel as though the the fans are more angry at the ownership and Marcel Brands rather than Benitez because like you said I don't think there's a lot more Benitez can do right now with what he's got at his disposal because, like I said at the start, they did pretty well. They were starting quite well with the season. I just think as though the recruitment's caught up with them massively alongside the the injuries that they've faced this year, which has been quite unfortunate. I
3: think it was always going to be the case, though, that Rafa Benitez's time span as Everton manager is going to be shorter just because of the relationship he has got with Liverpool Football Club Everton's rivals and I think that was always going to be the case that any profit in the bank that Rafa Benitez has from those opening games of the season has already been spent because you know he's the manager that won Liverpool the Champions League and there are a section of Evertonians who won't ever forget or forgive that um, regardless of the situation that they find themselves in now. Let's focus on Liverpool then. Joel's made a few good points there, Marley. Salah doing the damage, as we say, having a brilliant season. Diogo Jota has been an excellent signing since he arrived as well. Jordan Henderson scored an excellent goal to open the scoring last night. They just look extremely, extremely good. And they're not the only team. We'll come on to Manchester City in a second. Chelsea have looked good as well. And they're currently top of the standings. But as for Liverpool, they look like the side that blew the league away a couple of seasons ago again. And that's frightening for any team they come up against.
2: Yeah, absolutely. They, they really do. Um, there is like certain signs of, of them getting back to that level. Um, and you know, I think they wrote off last season when they had so many injuries and the fans were like, yeah, well, you know, it's all down to the injuries. Um, and a lot of sort of haters were like, no, well it might not be like, you might just be, you might've just hit the end of your sort of little cycle as people say these days. Um, but it, I mean, this season so far has proved that they're they're absolutely not at the end of anything because they're just at the start of of uh, of mounting a, a very very serious title challenge and they're going to take some stopping. I think that the African Nations Cup might put a, a sticker sort of stick through the spokes of the bike sort of thing because at the minute they're just absolutely flying past everyone. Like I watched the full game last night and they were just just far too good for Everton. They, every time Everton um, had energy and pressed them. They were just passing the way out of it perfectly, perfectly calmly, um, creating holes everywhere. Um, and that's you seen that with Salah's uh, Salah's first goal. Uh, they the they played out of the press and released him because he's not part of he's not part of the press. When Everton go high, he's the one waiting on the on the shoulder of the defender. Um, I think it was Michael Keane who just couldn't couldn't do anything about him and couldn't stop him once he started running and it ends up in the back of the net and it's it's even it it sort of seeps in as well like the fear of playing Liverpool and I thought the second uh, Salah goal for for Seamus Coleman like Everton had such an, a relatively easy thing to do to to get that back in the box from their their own corner uh, and Damari Gray panicked and give. Seamus Coleman a terrible ball to deal with and then Coleman panicked because Salah was right on him and you don't you don't have that panic if you're not uh, such a good team and such a, a good set of players because Coleman was thinking Christ, I've got to get this right and he ends up getting in two minds second-guessing himself and Salah finishes it absolutely brilliantly because the way he was sprinting with the ball I think Coleman was right on his shoulder and you're thinking... Coleman's just waiting for him to set himself just to slow down that, that tiny little percentage um, and instead Salah finishes it at 100 miles an hour, like doesn't break stride at all and, uh, and sort of shuffles it past uh, Pickford for, for 3-1 at the time and at that point the game was over. So it, it did sort of feel for, for Everton being kind of powerless but that's, that's just how strong Liverpool are now. They're, they're just far, far too good for everybody on most teams right now.
3: Yeah, and I would totally agree with that and also agree with how good Man City are looking as well. We'll come on to their result next. Final score at Goodison Park was Everton 1, Liverpool 4. That is the heaviest ever home defeat, I think, in the Premier League for Everton in a Merseyside derby, which tells you a lot about the situation that the Toffees find themselves in. As for Manchester City, they'll be going neck and neck with Liverpool and Chelsea for the Premier League title this season. A depleted side... Pep Guardiola said that his fitness concerns were an emergency. It certainly didn't seem like that in the opening 10 minutes where Manchester City absolutely dominated and were unlucky not to be in front. After just 53 seconds, Joao Cancelo forcing the goalkeeper into a smart save. Villa did come back into it. They started to grow and it could have been closer than it was. It finished 2-1 in the end. As Villa in the second half in particular did make it difficult for City. Some are suggesting, Joel, that these kind of wins, these tight wins, edgy wins are the games which make champions. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, but I don't feel as though this kind of game was one of those games because, I mean, they were 2-0 up by half-time and I just want to mention Ruben Diaz's goal was as good as a striker's goal I've seen for a long time. It was a great finish. that I don't know if it was a miss hit or something, but that was a clean, clean finish for a centre-back. Um, almost like company style um, when they won the league in 2019, but yeah, I mean, I don't feel as though this game's one of those pivotal ones where they'll look back on and think, oh, that was the game that clenched it for us. Because, yeah, 2 0 up at half time, they're usually always very much in control possession wise. When you looked at that starting lineup, it was still a very, very strong lineup, even if he has to kind of use his, his uh, reserves. And like I mentioned previously, the competition in that side is so ridiculously strong, where, you know, you still got Grealish and. Uh, Phil Foden who are still out and they can still fill the a, a front four of Raheem Sterling, Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez and Gabriel Jesus. I mean, there's not many other teams in the league that has that much quality and depth. So I, I think Guardiola will be just about fine in this festive period. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a game that I, you expected it. I know Gerard's side were on a kind of high after those two wins on the bounce and they looked really impressive, had a lot of energy in their play. Um, obviously ended that five-game successive defeat streak, but yeah, this is it's an interesting title race this year, especially for City because all three of these top teams—Liverpool, City, and Chelsea—it's all about who blinks first in terms of losing their consistency. Because it, it seems as though no team can really afford to lose probably more than three games this year, or they'll lose it. Um, and those games against each other are probably probably the most pivotal games because they just don't seem to be dropping points against all of the kind of minnows in the in the Premier League at the moment. But I feel as though City especially going into this festive period and into January, I would say that they're by far in the best shape um in contrast to the other two just because like I said the depth is just ridiculously strong um and you saw that today uh, yesterday sorry with the lineup that they had considering they have quite a few injuries. I mean even Kevin De Bruyne didn't even start. Um, Their main front three pretty much didn't start in terms of Phil Foden, Grealish, Kevin De Bruyne and they still won at a pretty decent canter I would say. Um, So I think going through this festive period I wouldn't be surprised to see City come out on top at the end of it uh, just because I feel as though their depth is just unmatched in the league at the moment.
3: Yeah, Jack Grealish on his first return to Villa Park since his switch to the Etihad for £100 million in the summer was met with a mixture of boos and applause, which frustrated a few, but anything to get the edge over a team like Manchester City will certainly be taken. Gerrard's first loss as Villa boss, that shouldn't cause too much concern for them, should it? Marley, they've looked better in the last three games since his arrival.
2: Yeah definitely they they have improved and they will probably continue to keep improving you would assume um they they still got to get Danny Ings back he was missing last night and they've uh, they've still got to get fully used to the way Gerard wants them to play but there has been it, it, enough improvements to uh, to suggest that like better times are coming um the one thing I I don't really understand how they ended up with uh with Fernandinho's goal. I didn't I don't know how the ended up with one centre back trying to mark two players at that time but it's just those little things that you need to iron out. Um and on look on the when all said and done, they lost two one to Manchester City. Like that's not a bad result at all. Um so there's plenty plenty there to work work with for Gerard um and the, the improvement's been enough to suggest that they'll get better.
3: Yeah, definitely Aston Villa um, in flashes yesterday really did give Manchester City a, a problem at times. I want to finish this game by talking about the goal that Bernardo Silva scored. Now, we've waxed lyrical about Salah on a number of occasions this season on the podcast. We even suggested earlier this week that if we were given a Ballon d'Or for the first four months of the season, we'd all be given it to Salah. Aside from Mo Salah, has Bernardo Silva been the best player in the Premier League this season, Marley? Because the technique for that volley, from the edge of the 18-yard box, the ball coming across his body from the right-hand side, side-footed it to keep it under the crossbar, and with enough pace to beat the goalkeeper. It was an unbelievable finish. Just how good's he been for Manchester City this season?
2: Oh, hes He's been ridiculous. Uh, he's been of... I can't remember what season it was. I think was it was 2018, 2019, where he was... You know, he he arguably should have won, uh, the PFA Player of the Year or or the, even the Ballon d'Or because he was that good. Yeah, I think he's getting back to those levels now. Um, there was a, you know, rumors about him being a little bit unhappy in England, uh, over the summer and could he potentially leave? Um, but I don't think I seen any Man City fans who wanted to who would have been all right with him leaving. They were like, we don't want him to leave. He'll he'll come good. Um, he's too good a player to let go. Uh, and he's proven it this season. His, his touch and his dribbling is is fantastic in such tight areas. You can't get the ball off him or you'll foul him. Um, and he's, he's starting to add a few goals to his game. And I think that goal last night just summed up how well he's playing. Because if you're not absolutely full of confidence and full of quality, you either scuff that into the floor or you stick it somewhere high in the halt end. But the way he's just stepped onto it, And just cushioned it with so much power, though, past uh, Martinez. It's just a fantastic way of of finishing it. And even a confident player would have tried to bring that down and slot it past the goalkeeper. But instead, he's just thought, well, everything else is going well for me right now. So I'm just going to slam this straight past him. And it's it's one of the best finishes you'll see all season.
3: Yeah, unbelievable goal. And for me, as good as the goals were in that Liverpool-Everton game, the goal of the night, a brilliant strike. And that includes an overhead kick of sorts from Neil Mopé of Brighton, which we'll talk about after the break. That result, though, Manchester City 2, Aston Villa 1 at Villa Park. I means City stay second on 32 points. Liverpool one point behind and a place behind in third on 31. Still leading the way, Chelsea on 33 points. Not a vintage win against Watford, but they got the job done. We'll talk about that game too after this here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. We had a full rack of Premier League fixtures this midweek and there are still two to complete. Manchester United against Arsenal and Spurs versus Brentford take place tonight. We'll talk about those a little bit later on in the podcast. But for now, let's round off the remainder of last night's fixtures, starting at Vicarage Road, where Watford were beaten by Chelsea, the league leaders by two goals to one. It felt like the Blues huffed and puffed a little bit. There was obviously a stoppage during the game due to a medical emergency in the stands to a supporter who suffered a cardiac arrest, a Watford fan who was uh, treated in the ground and then taken to hospital. So we wish him and his family all the very best in, in his recovery uh, from that injury that he sustained. So it's sad to see, but the game did eventually get back underway and it finished 2-1 to Chelsea. You talked about consistency before the break, Joel. It feels like Chelsea have just started to to maybe slip their standards ever so slightly. And that won't please Thomas Tuchel. But they got the win, a much needed win as well with the gap to the top. Still a point.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the comment you made about City asking if that was their kind of game which, you know, might make them champions. I feel like with Chelsea, this is the period at the moment especially with this game um where it definitely wasn't a straightforward game it seems as though out of the top 3 teams chelsea are going through that period now where they really need to start grinding out results they're not in they're undefeated in quite a, a, lo, a large amount of games but they're still grinding the results out um but i thought for example mason mounts goal was incredible the fir- uh, the first goal for chelsea the build that was amazing. I thought, you know, Antonio Rudiger has probably, be, probably been the best centre-back in the Premier League so far for me. Um, just seemed to ping out a, a pass out of nowhere to Alonso and it was just a one-shot, um, one-pass, one-pass and then straight into the net. Um, and, you know, Watford have, have proven to be a pretty difficult opposition so far under Ranieri. They're not an easy side to beat. Um, you know, they've got some pretty good results, obviously, away to Everton and then beating Manchester United by 4-1 at home. They're not easy to break down at all. And it, I think the good thing for Chelsea is that some of the outcast players who at the start of the season may have been thought to be just kind of squad players or maybe even moved on, namely Hakim Zayic, who ended up getting the winner for Chelsea. Um, These are the sorts of players and the sorts of moments that either dictate how your season's going to go in terms of whether you can challenge or not and I think Thomas Tuchel will probably probably be pretty content with that because you know, he's had to deal with the fact that Romelu Lukaku has been out of the side for quite a long time um, and he's been, you know, the main striker, the star signing. Um, and he switched it up by putting Christian Pulisic in there. Obviously, Mason Mount came back, Kai Havertz came back. So he's still adjusting the side a little bit because he's still de- dealing with you know injury concerns. I think the biggest two for him and the biggest problem he has is in the midfield. Um, you know, losing Jorginho and Kante together, who it, questionably, had yeah, probably the best pivot he he's going to be able to choose and having to use, you know, Sal Niguez and um, Loftus-Cheek. It's, the, the the difference in quality is unmatched. You can't really switch them up for somewhat th- for a pivot of that kind. And I think that's where they're struggling at the moment a lot. I mean, Jorginho just finished third in the Ballon d'Or and he's, he's probably at the top of his game at the moment. And especially with Kante, who's probably top five midfielders in the world as well so you losing these plays is always going to have a huge impact on your side but I think considering the circumstances and how many big players they are missing um, I think it was a massive result for them that especially coming, to, coming into this period where having injuries can really put a dent in your season especially at this time of year and I think Chelsea's squad although they're the most vulnerable they seem to have the most resilience as well which can only be a good thing especially in a title race
3: mason mount key in both goals and he's again showing just how valuable he could be to chelsea moving forward not just this season but for the years to come we spoke a few weeks ago marley or even last week perhaps about rumors linking mason mount with a move away from Stamford bridge because he wasn't getting enough game time i didn't think those rumors were particularly accurate and he responded to his goal by kissing the badge the chelsea crest on his shirt last night do you think that's quite a clear indication that he's uh Chelsea through and through, as they say.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think has he been at Chelsea since he was like seven years old or something. Um, so it's not not as if he's you know always looking out for the, the the next move or the biggest paycheck. I think he's he's what you need to build a club around. Um, if your players are good enough and they're, and they're local to the to the side, there's no there's no one that you love more as a fan. Because you're they're living out your dream. I said this before in the past, you know, if uh if you've got that available then it's amazing. Um Mason Mount is not only Chelsea and local and you know, uh like in the team and stuff, he's absolutely world class. The guy's absolutely brilliant. He's having he's having a, a very good season. Struggled a little bit with injury here and there. I think he had his uh, wisdom teeth out a couple of uh, about a month ago which made him miss a couple of games but he's, it's not as if Chelsea don't like Chelsea uh, they're in a position where they don't need to rely on him every game because they've got so many attacking options but when whenever he does play he's, he's fantastic and took his goal well last night um, as you say give the little sort of signal to the to the fans of you know ignore all this speculation not really sure where it's come from and and fair play to him because he's one of the best uh, english midfielders we've got right now
3: yeah mason mount's been excellent since he broke through into the Chelsea first team. Chelsea victorious last night at Vicarage Road beating Watford 2-1. That keeps them atop of the Premier League table by just a point. This title race really hotting up and starting to get really exciting as well as we head into the festive fixture period. Let's zoom down to the South Coast now where Southampton drew 2-2 with Leicester at St. Mary's Stadium. There was also sadly another medical emergency in the stands at this game. It took place at half time and the start to the second period was delayed. The game finished 2-2. Leicester conceded. After three minutes from a set piece, but they came from behind twice to draw. Perhaps a concern for Brendan Rogers. They seem to keep conceding from set pieces. They keep conceding soft goals, something they'll need to address. Both teams looked as good as each other, I thought, Joel, from what I saw of this game. Surely you think that's more concerning for the Foxes, who have higher aspirations than Southampton do.
0: Yeah, Leicester are a really interesting topic, what we've discussed on the podcast previously, where I don't know what's wrong with them in terms of maybe suffering from hangover from the last two seasons and having Europe, and it could be a number of factors. But they haven't been impressive at all, especially compared to last season, where you know they were they were really wiping teams away with their quality, especially in the midfield. Um, and I'm just I'm just unsure with how many goals they're leaking as well. And I think we we all agreed that you know losing Wesley Fofana I think has been such a huge miss for them. Um, especially, you know, Pereira, uh, their right back. I think he's a huge miss for them as well. So defensively, I think they are struggling a hell of a lot and that just shows in the amount of goals that they concede in every single game. I mean, even though they beat Watford uh, a few days ago, they still conceded two and then today they've conceded two against Arsenal. I think they conceded two or three. It's a constant and it's it's something that Brendan Rodgers, I think, will be looking to address potentially in in January. Um, Although I think they did sign the centre-back Vestergaard from Southampton in the summer, who was quite a decent centre-back from what I recall. Um, So I'm surprised they've not kind of dipped into him, but I think their full-backs are an issue at the moment. But I would say that I think the silver lining for them at the moment has been James Madison. I think um, he got another goal, obviously, uh, recently, just to get them the point in the game. And he's he looks like he's back to his best form. I think his his best season was last season where he got eight goals and five assists. And he's pretty consistent with that amount of um goal contributions. Obviously he had a pretty bad injury towards the end of last season, which stopped it quite shortly. Um but when he was at his height and when he was at his his peak, I think it was um early in twenty twenty. You know he was getting linked with huge moves to potentially like Manchester United for sixty, seventy million, and he was on the top of his game. Where him and Jamie Vardy seemed to be linking up really nicely, and suddenly the drop off in form was pretty drastic. But it looks as though he's getting back to the way he usually plays. He's having much more of an impact on games, and that second goal that he scored, uh, the second goal for Leicester that he scored, was a uh, just showed a lot of confidence and composure in his game. So I think going forward I think that's a it's a huge plus for Brendan Rodgers but I think he's going to be way more concerned with just how many goals they're leaking at the moment Uh, they find themselves in eighth at the moment uh, on 19 points which is a good eight points off fourth sorry six points off fourth Um, and you know they have a very big mixed bag of results in the last five games two defeats one draw two wins It's not typical of Leicester, you would expect them to have way more consistency, so I think going into this December period, I think it's going to be a very difficult one for them, especially on that defence, just because it seems as though they have so many injury issues, so many leakages at the back, Um, and I can only see them dropping down quite further, to be honest, because they don't look impressive at all compared to last year.
3: Leicester City to Southampton two at St Mary's Leicester face Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa at Villa Park on Sunday in their next game. Southampton, meanwhile, welcome Brighton in that somewhat of a of a South Coast rivalry. I won't call it a Derby. There's only one true South Coast Derby and everyone knows exactly what <laughs> two teams are involved in that game. Um, (laughs) Plymouth-Portsmouth. It's closer to Birmingham from Portsmouth than it is to Plymouth, so I'm not having any derby talk about those two teams. (laughs) That's a manufactured derby for the TV cameras, I can tell you now. Uh, Don't forget the Dugout, our Premier League preview show, will be back this week. It'll be out tomorrow. Matt Jarvis and Dean Hammond are our two guests for the show and we'll be talking to them about those weekend fixtures. There's still some games from last night we haven't talked about, including West Ham against Brighton. Leicester might have seen that 2-2 draw with Southampton as dropped points. Will that be the same case for West Ham at this moment in time, Marley? Because Neil Mopé scored an 89th minute equaliser. It was a good goal, very well finished by the Frenchman. To concede late will have frustrated David Moyes. They're now winless in three. Are we getting to the stage where this is considered drop points for West Ham?
2: Uh, yeah, I'd, yeah, definitely. Because at the end of the day, any time where you concede a goal after eighty-eight minutes was it eighty-nine? You know, and you you know you you snatch one point from the jaws of three is uh, is is points dropped whether you whether you take it like that or not because. West Ham had enough about them to go and win win that game. Yeah, they, I think they created enough chances. Um, the set pieces again were were great and they, they exposed uh, Robert Sanchez in, in the Brighton goal from pretty much every corner they got, stuck it right on top of him um, and ended up scoring, uh, well, sc- scored two but one was disallowed for Antonio's offside, wasn't it? So uh, they got a bit unlucky there but the goal was uh was was super from Neil mope and it's it's absolutely typical of Brighton isn't it? It's absolutely typical that they created a few chances in the game, wasted them all, and then the hardest one that comes along they stick in the back of the net with an absolute worldy overhead kick from like what six foot in the air where the ball was or something like that absolutely ridiculous that it's but. That is Brighton all over. They will do the hard thing and they will not do the, like uh, they won't score the easy, easy chances that they create and they'll they'll take the hard one right at the death. And similar to when they played Crystal Palace, they uh they got the 89th minute lob from Morpay as well. So it's creating a bit of an off in for himself in being Mister Mister 90 plus in his uh, in his goals. But uh, decent result for them. But yeah, definitely two points uh, dropped for West Ham. I would say.
3: Yeah, 100% agree with that. West Ham, though, despite the fact they haven't won in three and they dropped points late on to Brighton last night in that 1-1 draw, they're still fourth in the Premier League table. So... Plenty for them still to play for, despite the fact that their form has dipped slightly. The Champions League still very much within touching distance this season. There was one other game last night, Wolves versus Burnley. It finished goalless, so we won't really talk about it. Wolves did come the closest. Adama troy with a charging run, as we've seen on many occasions in the past. But no breakthrough for him, as he hit the underside of the crossfire, with possibly the hardest shot I've seen All season and uh, despite the goalless draw, Burnley and Wolves, their respective unbeaten runs continue.
2: I was just going to say the highlights of that game were just Adama Traore ripping everyone to shreds and then (laughs) hitting the bar or like putting his shot wide. And I was just, I couldn't help but laugh at uh, at just like the inevitability of him skinning three defenders and it not ending up in a goal.
3: (laughs) There's three things guaranteed in life: death, taxes, and Adama Traore not being able to find the back of the net. Um, <laughs> Wolves nil, Burnley nil. Still two games to talk about from this suite of Premier League fixtures across the midweek. Tonight, Manchester United welcome Arsenal to Old Trafford, and Spurs host Brentford. We'll talk about them next after this on Football Social Daily.
2: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at Sport-Social.co.uk.
3: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is your daily Premier League podcast from us here at Sports Social. Every single day of the season, a brand new episode for you. So if you don't want to miss anything to do with the Premier League, hit subscribe or follow, whatever it may be, on whichever platform you're listening to this show on right now. And that way you won't miss one. You'll be notified straight away as soon as a new episode is ready. Also, now we're in December. We're reaching the time of the year where everyone's doing their Spotify-wrapped And I wanted to say a massive shout out to those of you who have us, Football Social Daily, featured in your Spotify wrapped for 2021. I know there's loads of you that listen to the podcast every single day. And honestly, it's hugely appreciated by all of us here on the team at Football Social Daily. Myself, Marley, Joel, Jim and all of the other guys as well. Absolutely brilliant support from you lot and um, we couldn't do it without you so thanks so much and, and keep listening and keep hitting subscribe if this is your first episode of Football Social Daily welcome along come and join the gang we do this every day talking about all the news views and opinions from the best football league in the world the Premier League so come and join us and hopefully we'll see you again in 2022 but still a whole month of December to go still loads of fixtures between now and the new year including two tonight in the Premier League one at Old Trafford One at Tottenham and we'll start with the game in Manchester where United welcome Arsenal. You're the Manchester United fan here, Joel. Michael Carrick remains in charge. That's been confirmed by the club as Ralph Rangnick awaits the approval of his work permit to get started at Old Trafford. Do you think we'll see the fingerprints of Ralph Rangnick's style on United's methods of attack tonight against Arsenal? Even though he isn't able to start work officially yet, do you think we'll see perhaps... Uh, a few hints and highlights of what might be to come?
0: Yeah, I think this is the, the longest wait for a manager to join, I think, in the history of football, especially after we've just had an international break as well. It's crazy. But um, I would say to a point, just because obviously now it's official, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to think I would be led to believe that, you know, at least can has spoke to the coaching staff and kind of, you know, discussed what the team's like and that kind of thing. But I think Ranyik's gonna put his trust in Carrick to kind of dictate how the the side should go because, you know, Carrick is still the, the, the manager officially at the moment, I guess. Um but I think it'll just be kind of a carbon copy, well hopefully not a bloody carbon copy, but like a little bit more of a, a better copy of what we saw at Chelsea. Just in terms of, you know, I'm sure that we'll probably press a little bit more than we have in the last months. Um, I think obviously with Arsenal they are pretty good in possession I would hope to see us try and contend with that a little bit more um, I don't think it'll it'll be another case of you know leaving out Ronaldo or that kind of thing because I don't think Arsenal are as strong as Chelsea when it comes to pressing and, and as when it comes to possession. Um, as we saw, you know when they got absolutely dominated by Liverpool the other week, so Arsenal can be got at and I think it's a huge. I think this is a very pivotal pivotal game for us, just because you know Arsenal are in fifth place at the moment. And we're in tenth um, place on eighteen points. A win, if if Arsenal were to win, you know they would go nearly eight points clear of us, and that is a dangerous situation to be in, because we could find ourselves slipping further and further, and then Ran, Ran- going to have an incredibly hard job on his hands to try and retrieve all those lost points that we've done nearly halfway through the season. Um, but I think this game will, and I hope will be full of energy in terms of the players really picking up to the occasion. I think it's the perfect game to actually contend with at this stage just because, you know, I'm sure Rang is going to be in the crowd. Um, there's going to be a bit of excitement going into it. Obviously, it's always a good game against Arsenal at home because we usually beat them. Um, so I think it should be it be a good contest because obviously, you know, Arsenal are in pretty decent form. They've got four wins out of the last five. Um, they're in pretty decent form when it comes to playing against the lesser sides, but obviously when they come up against the more quality sides, they seem to become undone a little bit. Um, and, you know, we're a side at the moment who, yeah, we're a big team, big side, but we don't really have the quality at the moment in terms of the system in place. Um, but I was I was encouraged by the second half against Chelsea, considering just how good they are, um, just in terms of the off-the-ball work which has been missing completely in the last months. So I would hope to see a lot more energy in the side. Um, and yeah, something along the lines of what Ranit would be looking for, but I'm sure he's left carrot to kind of do his thing because obviously next week he'll take full control, but I'm sure he's spoken to them and kind of come across what he wants to see from the side.
3: Well, as you say, Arsenal, the visitors to Old Trafford, it's always a good game between Manchester United and Arsenal. is isn't quite of the level that it used to be back in the the mid-2000s slash late 90s when it was Roy Keane versus Patrick Vieira, it was Sir Alex Ferguson versus Arsene Wenger, Highbury versus Old Trafford, two sides gunning for the title. It's kind of lost that pedigree, let's just say, over the last few years, but it's still a super competitive game with two fan bases who have no love lost between each other. As for Arsenal, Marley, they can take a decent step towards the top four with a win. They were smacked about by Liverpool two matches ago. They beat your team, Newcastle, last time out and and actually you know they they've gone under the radar a little bit and despite that defeat to liverpool they can get nice and close to the champions league spots something they're no doubt be aiming for if they can beat manchester united tonight
2: yeah well they'll they'll go into fourth uh, above west ham thanks to thanks to west ham dropping a couple of points last night as we just mentioned so the the carrot is is there for arsenal um wolves dropping points just below them as well I think even a draw would, would put them three points ahead of Wolves and, t- and takes the pressure off next week's game um and keeps them, like, sort of fifth. But they'll be in this. I think they're, other than the Liverpool game, they've won, I don't think they've been beaten since August or something like that. So they have gone under the radar a little bit and slowly improved. And they seem to finally have, have sorted themselves out a little bit because I think Arteta's had to reinvent that team two or three times in, in terms of formation and... And personnel and and sorting out the defence and all the rest of it, but they do look like a half decent team now. So um, they they'll be fancying that. And I, I'm just looking at the table now. They somehow still got a minus two goal difference despite being in fifth, which is uh, which is pretty rare. But they could uh, they could end up in the Champions League places with a minus one goal difference tonight if they uh, if things go that certain way. But um, it's. It's there for Arsenal now. Like you can't, you can't say, "Oh, you know, well, next season we'll be better and we need another transfer window." You've, you've, so you've got a chance. We're a quarter of the way into the season. You're fifth in the league. Like the top three is, as we all sort of think, is is pretty much set in stone. So, you know, from fourth all the way down is is up for grabs. So one of those one of those positions is the Champions League place. The, the final Champions League place person. Arsenal, if they did get it back into the Champions League, I think that's huge because the uh, the lure of Arsenal for attracting new players is is slightly slipping after not being in the, the top competition for the last three or four years. Um, so they need that back. I think it's massively important to them um, and they've got a chance to do it. So uh, the proof will be in the pudding if they can actually uh, go ahead and, and build on this decent uh, sort of... Well, not start to the season, but past nine games or whatever it's been.
3: Yeah, because they actually made their worst ever start to a Premier League season. So credit to Arteta for turning it around. I think that defeat to Liverpool recently will be concerning for... Gunners fans just because I think it highlights how far Arsenal are still from the top teams in the Premier League but getting into the Champions League would be massive for them and a victory over Manchester United tonight will go a long way to doing that. That game at Old Trafford this evening, probably the pick of the two fixtures. The other is Spurs against Brentford. Now, before we talk about that, I'll remind you that the Dugout, our Premier League preview show, is out tomorrow night. Looking ahead to the weekend's games, of which there are 10 across Saturday, Sunday and Monday night where Everton are back in action. And why not set yourself aside a beer for every different Premier League game this weekend? You can do that. You can get 10 free beers just by signing up to Beer52. Eight free beers is what you normally get. But because you're listening to us here at Football Social Daily, we're giving you a special offer. You can get 10 free beers. All you need to do is pay £5.95 for postage and packaging. You can claim your free case. If you do it before the 17th of December, that's when you get your two extra beers. So you can get your fridge nice and stocked up for Christmas, ready for that festive Premier League fixture schedule. What you need to do is head to beer52.com forward slash football. And as I say, cover that £5.95 for postage to claim your free case and you'll get 10 free beers. What's more... You can choose between dark beer and light beer, so if you're into hoppy IPAs or craft lagers or stouts or anything like that, you'll be able to choose what you want. So if dark beer is not your thing, simply choose the light option instead of a mixed case you'll also get a ferment magazine which delves into the beers the breweries and the theme each beer box is a different theme perhaps a different country from around the world you'll also get some snacks to wash down with the beer so what's not to love just to let you know after redeeming that free case and covering the postage and packaging you will be enrolled into the monthly beer club which is 24 pounds a month but there's no minimum commitment you can pause and cancel that at any time. So just a reminder, beer52.com forward slash football and it's £5.95 postage and you get 10 free beers. What's not to love about that? Time to talk now about a place that has got a brewery inside it, Tottenham Hotspur's new stadium, and that's the venue as Brentford are the visitors to North London tonight in the final Premier League midweek fixture we have this week. The game against Burnley was called off at the weekend for Tottenham Joel, so there's no excuses really for them not to look fresh and on the money tonight. As Brentford are the visitors,
0: yeah, I think the brewery is the only good thing going with for Tottenham at the moment. Um, <laughs> that last game, I think their last game was the defeat against Mora in the Europa Conference League, which was on the twenty fifth of November. So there's no excuses for them for this game. They've had a good week off now, which is very rare in the in the festive period. But I think everyone's not realised that Brentford have kind of gone under the radar a little bit in terms of you know their league position. They they currently Sit in eleventh place, sixteen points, only three behind Tottenham. Which you know, for for a promoted side, and considering the amount of sides who are currently battling at the bottom, it, they find themselves in a pretty secure position at the moment. Um, but this is a massive game for Tottenham and for Conte as well. Especially after the comments he made after that Mora game, which seems like so long ago. After um, Burnley's under pitch heating apparently didn't work. Um. His comments were pretty stark and were pretty revealing of just how much he realises he's got a huge job on his hands with this side um, after that embarrassing, embarrassing defeat against the team that were created in 2012. Um, And I think, you know, obviously they've got two games in hand, which I know a lot of managers don't really like, that, um, that gap that they usually get when they miss or postpone games because it adds unnecessary pressure. It creates a little bit of a... False look at how the table actually does look because they find themselves slowly falling behind even though they have got games to potentially recover um but I think Conte knows that this sort of game now is really necessary to start winning because you know like I said after the comments he made in their last fixture which they were absolutely poor and they feel they had a very very strong side for that as well um and you know Brentford have have proven to be a pretty tough proposition for each team. They've gone into the season with a very different mentality, which is really what I like. I always go back to the the comment that uh Ivan Tony made at the start where he said we're going for the league title and obviously they're not going to win it, but they've gone with the mentality that, you know, we want to win every game. We don't want to just survive in this league. Um and I think it shows with just the league position at the moment and how difficult they've made it for teams. But yeah, for Tottenham and for Conte, it's, it's it's a vital game, this. And I mean, they've got, you know, Brentford to come, then Norwich after that, Brighton away, and then they have a tricky run uh, at the end of December with Leicester away, Liverpool at home, West Ham at home. So, you know, these are the two games. Yeah, the, the, 100%. Conte will be looking at these next fixtures, licking his lips, because he knows that the momentum in the team could really build now, um, going into those really difficult fixtures when potentially might have some injury concerns or this kind of thing so yeah huge huge two games to come for Tottenham um, should be a six pointer as well but you know after the week after the result in the Europa uh, Conference League I mean I wouldn't put your bets on it just yet
3: you mentioned Brentford there Joel and actually how they started the Premier League season their first Premier League season in bullish fashion they did make a bright beginning to the campaign but you think now Marley after some adverse recent results they lost to Norwich a couple of weeks ago they found it slightly more difficult in the last month or so they're starting to see the ruthlessness of the Premier League and those early performances and early points that they got has probably stood them in good stead because the Premier League can be brutal
2: yeah, it, it can, and you see this a lot with um, with promoted sides. You know, they make a good start, and then they get uh, like a, a, a defeat they weren't expecting, and the wheels come off a little bit. But you know, Brentford have, have sort of shown a little bit of bouncing back after that Norwich defeat. You know, they beat Everton. Um, they they were well, they were all over the place against Newcastle, but ended up with a three three draw. They could have won it, they could have lost it, but ended up drawing it. Um and the the, the fixtures are, are getting tougher. You know, they've got Tottenham obviously tonight, then they've got Man United coming up in uh, in a couple of weeks uh, as well. Chelsea over the Christmas period in the cup, uh City just after Christmas too, so they need to just be be wary basically, um, of of what might happen because I think they don't want to get too carried away with what they're doing. I think they're somewhere like I think they're eleventh in the in the table pretty much even across the board four wins four draws and five defeats 17 goals scored 17 conceded so they they're pretty much middle of the road right now which is perfect but you know one of the things with that is if you lose a couple of games it can you can really drop down the table because they're only uh two points off 17th or three points off 17th and then if you're 17th you you're in a relegation battle so they need to Need to be wary of that, but on the other hand, if they beat Tottenham tonight, they'll go above them, and they'll go all the way into uh,
3: seventh. Actually, do you think they'll stay up, boys? Oh, yeah, it's too early. For, to yeah.
0: S- I, I do think. I do think they're going to get dragged into it eventually. I definitely do think. I mean, that.
3: four, four wins, four draws, five defeats, zero goal difference, eleventh. You couldn't get any more mid-table than Brentford are at the moment. I mean, it's as steady Eddie as you can hope for for a promoted team. It
0: is true, but then when you look at the table, 17th and 11th separated by three points. So two defeats on the bounce, and you can find yourself battling with the likes of Burnley, Norwich, and Newcastle again, whereas two wins on the bounce, you find yourself in Dreamland next to Wolves and Brighton, looking to get into the top four, top five, top six maybe. So I think it's too early to say at the moment, um, because like we say, with this fixture congestion list coming up, Two, three losses on the bounce, or three draws and a defeat, and suddenly the pressures suddenly way onto you more than before. So, for me, at this stage, is a very false position. But I am impressed with their goals conceded, which is, or which is joint the same as Arsenal and West Ham, which is really impressive considering they've just been promoted. Um, all the sides below them have conceded over twenty goals, so I think that's testament to at least the coaching, and I think that should stand them in good stead because usually. Promoted sides, leak goals, left, right and centre. So I think that's a massive bonus for them at the moment.
3: Spurs against Brentford tonight at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. That's the second and final game of this evening's action. And it takes us to the end of today's podcast. Just finally, before we go, these fixtures this midweek, Marley, have been broadcast on Amazon Prime Video here in the UK. I'm not sure whether that's been the case overseas. I don't think it has. I think it's been UK and Ireland only. What have you made of it and the way things have gone for them this week?
2: Uh, I I love it. I think it's I think it's great. Um I'd say it's it's about my favourite um live game to watch. Like, you know, the live broadcast when the game's actually on because I think the commentary teams are, are superb. I think the the graphics and everything are great. Um the the presenting's good. I think I seen Simon Thomas on there last night, um, who was was really, really good. Um I've seen a few, We're like Ali McCoyst. Um, I mean, I think Ali McCoyst and Peter Drury did the Newcastle game the other day, and uh, you, you couldn't ask for a better team. <laughs> you couldn't ask for a better commentary team than them two. Um, and it was sorry, it wasn't Ali. quite? It was bloody Alan Shearer for the Newcastle game, and then it was Ali Ali McCoyst last night for the uh, for the Merseyside derby. And I just think it's it's really really good, and I enjoy the games on on uh, Amazon because you can you can flick through them nice and easy um, with. With the app on the TV or, or your tablet or your phone or whatever you've got. Um, and I like how they've done the the um, kickoff times as well because when one game finishes uh, at half time, you know at half seven and quarter past eight is half time, another game's just kicking off. So you've you've always got something to watch, um, and you can flick over fifteen minutes, and if it's crap, you turn back, and if it's decent, you stick with it, and that's that's what I did for the Liverpool game last night, and I think I watched uh, the last twenty minutes of Leicester against Southampton after that. So it makes the whole and um, the whole TV experience so just much more smoother and uh, more enjoyable.
3: Yeah, I think when it comes to broadcast rights, though, I think Amazon will be choked out ever so slightly just because. I think the whole point of of the Premier League having such money to spend and such revenue is because of the TV rights. They can sell to BT and Sky and Amazon and have a bid in war and make loads of money, and that's what the clubs will want, ultimately. Um, I shouldn't really say this as a commentator as well, but I really enjoy that you can turn the commentary off and just listen to the stadium effects. (laughs) I think that's a really good uh, little addition, which you would never be able to get on Sky or BT or even BBC, for example. So, yeah, I definitely think Amazon... Have uh, 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 really kind of shown that they can be a player in the game when it comes to broadcasting the Premier League. Um, in terms I like
2: uh, I like to it off when you're commentating now.
3: <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not big time enough to be on Amazon Prime, so, so that's that's fine. You have to worry about that. <laughs> that's it for today's football social daily. Um, don't forget to hit subscribe. That way, you won't miss another episode. Again, on tomorrow's podcast, we'll be looking back at United against Arsenal and Spurs against Brentford. But that's it for today, and we'll catch you next time here on Football Social Daily.